Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick, will talk Vanderbilt baseball. Chip appears on the guest line. That's presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our interview with Chip. Chip Frederick joins me. This is Wednesday morning. Vanderbilt has lost a game. one nothing to Louisville. It lost two of three this weekend against Texas A&M. Uh, Chip, not the most fun time to talk Vanderbilt baseball for the fan base, but a lot of things to talk about here, and thanks for joining me today. Sure, Chris. Glad to be on. Uh, you know, yeah, it's it's definitely a, it's an uncharted territory a little bit for Vanderbilt fans, and it's something that I'm not used to, and when you're not used to something, uh, the emotions kind of uh, go all over the place, and, and, you know, fact of the matter is, this team is is where they are because of several factors and I know we'll get into them but last night it was just not being able to put the ball in play simple I mean two hits uh, you know 14 of the 27 outs were by strikeouts and when you look at the statistics as far as who was striking out and which is a little got until I kind of dove into this this morning 14 strikeouts but you had Bradfield with three and Hewitt with two and Jones with three and Keegan with two so you're talking about you know, 10, 11 of the 14 were the guys in the top of the order. And your problems here of late have been uh, the guys in the bottom of the order, six through nine in that, in that range. So yeah, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's, um, I'm not saying it's a wake up call. It's something that has been prominent for a couple weeks, if not a more. Uh, and they need to write the ship here as exams come around and end this week, and it's always tough to go on the road after that. But they've got to right the ship quickly because uh, even though the RPI is where it is, strength of schedule, all those you know past success, which really I don't think the NCAA cares too much about. They're going to NCAA baseball, college baseball at the power levels is – is, is uh, there's a lot of parity, as you saw last night. I mean, Arkansas loses at home, um, and they're one of the top three, four teams in the country. So, in summary, it's just, yeah, it's you, you had the highs and the lows. You have the Friday night contest uh, since we've talked against uh, Texas A&M where they score 10, 11 runs, and everybody leaves the park exuberant and feel like they're finally making the, the you know, making the change and where they need to go in the direction and then you—that's sandwiched between Thursday and and Saturday in that A and M series, and then you follow that up with what happened last night, only scratching out two hits. So frustrating times. Uh, there's still time to to get this going, but it's not trending. Definitely not trending in the right direction. Well, let me just ask you the question that I think the fan base is asking more or less with every game: Is it time to panic with this team? Not yet. Uh, we're getting there, though. And, 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 you know, Athens has been not a friendly place for Vanderbilt baseball uh, over the, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but it is not, it is a, a place where Vanderbilt teams have struggled 
in my recent memory, even when they were really, really good. Um, you know, you, you've got Georgia, who is a team ahead of us in the standings. Uh, they're they're hungry. They're coming off two out of three losses to Baton Rouge, in Baton Rouge to LSU, uh, and you know it, it's I think and I hate when you put these labels on it. This is a must win series. You got to win two out of three. You definitely can't get swept down there in Athens uh, with what's coming up down the pike with LSU at home and Arkansas on a daunting way to end the year. But this league is unforgiving. Mistakes are amplified. The book is out. You know, people know how to pitch to you. It starts getting into a mental thing, and you and I talked about this off air. It's it's wondering if it's getting so mental that there's you know the improvement has to be. Um, it, it it just becomes insurmountable sometimes. You think mentally when you're struggling. Baseball is a game of failure. When you know good hitters fail six out of if you're hitting 400, you're failing six out of ten. Uh, times and um, it just gets to be in your head and when you start thinking out there too much as a baseball player it can compound things so is it panic time I'm not feeling real great about it I'll tell you that much um, compared to where we were a couple weeks ago after the Florida series and heading into Kentucky even though we won that two out of three the way we played on day two of that series was just sort of a scratch your head moment so if we're not there, we're getting pretty dadgum close, Chris, and um, things can go really south quickly if you if you don't put it together here and you you don't do well this weekend. Even if it's wins and losses, if the if the trends continue with the ground ball outs, not getting ahead and you know not attacking ahead in the count uh, on on batter friendly counts, uh, and and you know you just and what you don't want to do, and it's just human nature when. I mean, you lose one nothing, and the, the the pitching staff has got to be just pulling their hair out. And, you know, that crew has done their job uh, pretty much the entire season. The, the the stats are there; they look, you know, daunting. There's enough arms on this team to be a really, really good team going down the stretch here. But if they don't get it turned around, turned around offensively, you got to score to win, right? I mean, you if you don't score, you're not going to win any game. And it's just definitely the trend is not here uh, in the positive way, the way they're going. Everybody has been on their offense all year. And I've kind of been out there on my own with with my take on them. Uh, I I don't feel like they're a bad hitting team. I feel like they're an average hitting team. I will – I'll back that up. I'm looking at runs scored per nine innings in SEC games. Um, with not runs per game, but runs scored per nine innings. Because something like if you're the home team and you don't bat in the night, then then you lose an inning. They are at five point eight. The league average is five point four. Uh, so again, they're they're producing above league average. Now, I I think where people get bogged down with them is the bottom of the order has been really bad. Oh, and and one more thing, strikeouts. They actually strike out the fourth fewest times in league games of anybody in the SEC. Uh, so their strikeout rate compared to most people is really not a problem. Everybody's striking out these days. They're striking out 22% of the time in SEC games, league average 23.4%. So it's just not it, – it's an average offensive team statistically, whereas people are, have been used to great offensive teams. Now, where I get concerned – 
is the bottom of the order because they're getting nothing out of eight and nine. Uh, that that could change. You've seen Davis Diaz and Carter Young hit before. Tate Colwick is hitting, but the thing I was worried about is the power's just gone, and I just worry about that hand. Um, Enrique Bradfield Jr. still has not hit the way he did a year ago. Now Spencer Jones and Dom Keegan have been tremendous. Oh yeah, I, I, I think that I think that the bottom of the order stuff has eclipsed everything else about this team. Uh, the pitching is still really really good. We'll get to that in a moment. I think everybody is focused on what's gone wrong with them. Now, having said that, um, the thing I'm concerned about for them is does it get in their heads? Because the thing that I have said all along, the schedule for them was really weird. Because you knew going into the season that the toughest games were coming at the end. They missed an opportunity to win the series against Oklahoma State. They got swept by Tennessee. They took a road loss to South Carolina that they probably shouldn't have taken. They missed a chance for a good road series win at Florida. They just missed a chance at their best midweek win all year. So like every time and time again, when it comes to the the games, it would move the needle with perception. They have failed. Now, statistically, I've said I don't think they're that far off. I think they've been more guilty of bad breaks than bad baseball. You look at the computers, they're top – uh, 17 in the country by every major computer, still top 10 by some. Massey's got them three this morning. I don't think they're that good. I just think the truth is somewhere in between. But my concern is you're judged by skins. Uh, you're judged by big wins. And I'll, I'll give you a parallel if you want to feel a little better. I looked at North Carolina in basketball coming to the tournament, and like the computers love them, but they just haven't beaten anybody. They didn't really get any quality wins that much till they beat Duke at Cameron. You know how that ended. So sometimes the computers are right about a team, and it's there, and it just hasn't clicked against the good teams. And maybe that's the case for them. But, um, boy, they just have missed time and time and time again in opportunities with big teams. And now they are sitting here. I don't think they're going to miss a regional, but they could you've got exams at this time and then you've got road trips to Georgia and Arkansas with the home series against a really good LSU team that I think is better than people think they have set themselves up in a really bad spot where their backs are against the wall against really really good teams and two are on the road and they've got to start amassing big wins they just don't have any choice at this point um now I still think 14 and 17 or 14 and 16 in the league, if they can get there, I will be stunned if they're out of the tournament at that point. Uh, I think even 13 and 17 they could get in. But their backs are against the wall. And, and oh, by the way, you've still got exams going on. Yeah, it, and it's this team went from, and, and when you're, again, expectations being so high and what you're used to and trips to Omaha and nationally heralded, recruiting classes and all that. The fact remains, this team has, on the hitting side, uh, been pretty paltry uh, compared to years past. It just felt that way ever since, you know, almost the last fourth, last 15 games of, of 2021. It just hasn't felt right. It, hadn't, it definitely in Omaha didn't feel right, except for some spurts. Uh, and you start psychologically as a fan and someone who follows the program, you start thinking, well, this team's going to host. 
then it becomes, well, this team's going to be a two seed. They're a solid two seed, and but they have enough talent, they have enough pitching that they'll be a dangerous two seed. Now you you you, you get yourself in a hole. You end up fourteen seven, you know, fourteen three games under, five hundred four games under. Well, they you know they they're going to have to go to a really tough super, you know, or regional and. And there'll be a three, but there's really no difference between a two and three, by the way. Just remember that. I mean, there is and there isn't, but you're, you're ended up the two plays of three the first round. Um, and then starting to creep in the fact of some people's thoughts is, you know, are they going to miss a regional? Years past, three, four, and you and I talked about this, three, four games under 500 in years past when college baseball wasn't as strong as it was and there were different people making decisions, That you're on the outside looking in. And, uh, you know, there were years when that was kind of the magic number of too far under that 500 line. I don't care what you did. Now, they strength schedules there, RPIs there, luckily for them. But, you know, they, as you mentioned, last night would have been a huge win uh, in midweek. And it's a team they'd taken care of for the last five years in the battle of the barrel. And then, you know, they can't scratch out a run and your top half of the order striking out a bunch. Your your comment about the and I, I understand analytics, I understand all that, I respect it. Um, on the other side of it, it sure as hell doesn't feel that way. I mean, it, and maybe that's just the expectations part. Um, this team in, in a league where uh, it seems like everybody's hitting home runs and and the thoughts of Vanderbilt teams hitting the ball a gap and just hitting rockets in the gap and getting doubles and triples. This team's hitting ground balls hitting into double plays and strikes out uh, more than they should, in my opinion, regardless of what the stats. And it just makes it – it amplifies it, Chris. It, it does to the fan base, too, who is used to – is not used to having the results like they're having offensively. So they um, they got their work cut out for them, and, and Georgia's going to be at home and you know, a couple games in the more win column than Vanderbilt does in the league and overall, and – They've got a, a quality pitching staff. They've had the injury bug themselves, just like everybody else. But um, I am interested to see if this team can pick themselves up and, and get it done. Uh, you know, you take away the offensive performance, and you could do this with any team. We've talked about this too of what they did against South Carolina when they threw a couple guys and they basically threw the white flag in that game. And then the Auburn game when Auburn did basically the same thing. You know, those, those are the highlights of the year offensively in the conference. Other than the Texas A&M, that was a good win. That was that was as good of an offensive performance as they've had in the conference. But this up and down, seesaw, yo-yo, whatever you want to call it, back and forth they're doing, they cannot get any traction, it seems like, on the offensive side. The pitching's been good enough, but they cannot seem to put together wins in the conference like they used to. And... There's, you know, nine chances they've got left against th- uh, three really good teams coming up. And it's going to be a gut check for, for uh, this team. By the way, the stats are a little bit off uh, what I had earlier. I hadn't updated some things. But there's still – there's still it doesn't change it a lot. There's still not that far off average. But my, my concern for them is, like, do these things become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because uh, – Computers compute these things, and they do it without the emotion that fans see things, and I think that's valuable. But these are, for the most part, 18- to 21-year-old players, too. 
Uh, and and there's a mental component at the big league level, so there's certainly going to be one at this. And I just wonder, does this become self-fulfilling prophecy at some point, especially with the hitting and the lack of clutch hitting? Well, it could, uh, you know, um, and you, when you've got your guys, just what what still was just mind-boggling was is, and when when things start to go south mentally is when the guys that you've been counting on who, you know, the Spencer Jones and Dominic Keegan who are having outstanding years when they start, not the, the word's not buying into it, but when they start becoming the source of the problem as well, and those are the guys you're counting on, and those guys at the top of the order, and you got Bradfield who just, it hasn't seemed the same. It, it just, it, I don't, you people call sophomore slump or people are pitching to him different or whatever. But even his production is just, but the numbers don't lie. And and to see him strike out three times, a guy who just puts the ball in play on a consistent basis last year, almost every time up, and he's not doing it. It just builds on itself and it manifests and it, and it really, uh, you know, there's, there's not, I don't think there's finger pointing on this team, and but you can sit there and say, you know, come on guys, carry your weight a little bit, bottom of the order. But, I mean, who would have thought that Spencer – I mean, Carter Young uh, would be struggling as much as he has, especially in the league, Chris. I mean, it's just – the numbers – I mean, Carter Young's hitting 187 in the league. That's just if – you, if you told me that at the beginning of the year or any time last year that Carter Young is going to be hitting 187 in in the first week in May in the league, that just is unfathomable. So – and Bradfield, 278 in the league. It just – Hundred points better, almost, but still, that that seems unfathomable. So, it's definitely, um, boy, baseball's a tough game. I mean, I don't care. I mean, it's just hitting a round object going ninety-five uh, and changing directions, and it really amplifies the fact. And you, you and I have talked about this. I mean, it is a power pitching league uh, more than it ever has. Guys throwing harder better arms, older arms, more mature arms, uh, gotten a lot of people from the portal. The best of the lower ranks have been brought into the league. So there's no days off and there's no uh, games where uh, you can just catch your breath and, and sit on fastballs and drive them in gaps. It's just become even harder, especially with this team being uh, as youthful as they are. Well, the thing that's made me wonder if it's mental more than anything was yesterday. Louisville's got, I think, a 554 ERA coming in. The starting pitcher's got a 770. I mean, they just throw in one subpar arm after another. And, and sometimes you can get by for matchups for an inning at a time, and I guess that's what they did. But when they got too hit by those guys, and I didn't get to see much of it. My daughter had a school event, and I was watching some on on ESPN, but the feed in there was awful, and I'm trying to watch Game Track or some, but it just seemed like – they were rolling over one ground ball after another and, and hitting harmless pop flies. And it just, the thing I've said for a while is the, the thing that's bothered me more than anything wasn't the strikeouts, it's the quality of contact. And I just don't see the identity of, of what we used to see with doubles and triples hitting Vanderbilt teams where guys hit up and down the lineup. And uh, I, I still think their first four or five hitters are really good, but. Uh, it's what happened to LSU last year that that bottom two three in the order just just wrecked so many innings. Yeah, and that staff of Louisville, who they rolled out last week, uh, last weekend, this past weekend, 
um, against Clemson, I mean, they went first two guys went two innings and then they threw five guys in inning apiece. It was almost like it was on schedule that that their staff had in mind that they were going to do all night. And you're talking about what they a, a team that got pretty torched up last weekend against Clemson and looked like a bunch of superstars. Uh, and with ERAs and the sevens, the first two guys they roll out there was just a little bit concerning. Um, just the ability not to get any traction. And look, I, I will repeat what I said. When, you, when you're struggling and you, your top guys, when you're struggling at positions six through nine in the order, and then your top guys start contributing to that or fall, fall prey to that, it's just going to be the result is going to be that way. Um, we didn't see anything pick up from the bottom guys. It wasn't like a topsy turvy where the bottom guys helped the, 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 the top of the lineup. It was just it amplified things even even more. So, yeah, I, th- I think this is things becoming mental, um, and it, which it does in baseball. And um, we'll just have to see if they can turn it around this weekend against a, a, a really a team with Georgia with some really nice wins. The thing I'm kind of watching with them. Chip is is demeanor and confidence and things like that. And Tim Corbin has been very even keeled the whole year, which has always told me something. I, I felt like my stance on this team for a long time. What is it was more unlucky than it was bad? I mean, I don't, I don't think they're bad. If anybody thinks they're bad, that's crazy. Uh, you could say they're not not a great team. Uh, Depending on where you want to set the line at good, I guess you could argue that. I, I still think if you're you're second in the country in run prevention, which I think is is where they are with an average offense, I have a hard time saying that's not a good team. Uh, if people want to quibble, fine. But um, he was not a good mood after Saturday's game. The, the post game lasted about a minute. The answers were short and curt. He was in an awful mood. He was given bad answers. It wasn't even worth running the video on the site. Now, I wasn't there yesterday, uh, but but I heard he was very hot after the game about something. I don't know exactly what it was. And to me, I I don't know if that's telling. If he's starting to get cranky and I wasn't there, so I can't say panicky, he knows his team. And I've seen times where he was calm, where everybody else felt the world was falling apart. And you could tell that that he he thought his team was pretty good, and and I think he and I usually share the same opinion of his teams. And I wasn't there, but I wonder if if he's starting to worry given his demeanor of late. Well, I wasn't there, and I didn't see it, so I, I can't comment as well. Um, I do know that you know you and I, hearkening uh, back to this was of course way back. <laughs> it seems like it was a year ago, but the Oklahoma State series. And I made that comment to you, the way they lost that game, Vanderbilt teams at home probably win those games, get the, get the series win. And I'm, I was in Memphis at the time, and I commented to you, I called you, and I remember you said, um, you know, his demeanor after the game was pretty positive. And I think your comment was, well, I think he knows he's got a pretty good team. And, uh, you know, you fast forward a couple months, and when the, when the losses start stacking, uh, you know, I think Tim is a, is a guy who doesn't play the standings and the and the overall record if he knows that the effort is there or that guys um, are not mentally um, doing well and you know in their approach at the plate mainly. 
and when that it's just human nature from from anybody, especially the guy who's competitive, he is that you know he obviously takes losing harder and hates losing more than he enjoys winning. I think we've known that during during his entire tenure at Vanderbilt. I think that's a self admitted comment. I think he's said it several times, and I've heard him, but. Yeah, it gets to you. There's there's no hiding behind it. You, you're sitting there, and the next thing you're going to do, you're going to turn up, and it's going to be the SEC tournament. And he knows the stakes. He's been around. He knows what it takes to get in the tournament and, and to be as successful as he can. Um, so I don't think it's surprising at all. Um, it's I don't think it's surprising one bit that he would have that demeanor uh, when it's as frustrating. If, it, if it's frustrating for the fan base, it's amplified times 10 for that entire coaching staff for Baxter, obviously for him. I mean, goodness. I mean, that's those guys are the guys he analyzes in the cage every day and, and watches video. And, um, and then, you know, you got Brownie who's rolling those guys out there on the staff and they're doing a good enough job. And I'm not saying there's ever a, I think if there's a place where it's not going to happen, where there people are taking sides and pointing fingers, I think they do a good enough job with that. Um, and, and their approach of coaching and in their classroom work. But still, it, you can't, in fact, we're all human. And when you start looking at it that way, when it becomes so imbalanced, uh, it, it, it's hard not to think that deep down inside that might not be going on. The biggest concern I see going forward is I don't know what buttons you have left to push with the offense. People have called for the left side of their infield to get benched, but the fact is Diaz – and Young have been flawless on defense. And the fact is, Keegan and Jones and Bolger and Bradfield and those guys, with their pitching, are good enough to carrying them to wins at times. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. And I, I think if you you start making changes there, I mean, I, I sure don't think you want to change your shortstop at this point. Maybe third, you could get away with it. But I don't think they'll find anybody off the bench who's as good as, as Diaz has been defensively. And to top it off, it's not like there's a bat out there that's just been tearing up. Now, now that they've gotten Hewitt in the lineup, you can say this. No, I think you could say before, maybe Hewitt's the guy that, that that should be in there that wasn't. Well, now Hewitt's got left field locked down, it appears. So I just don't see a lot of buttons to push. No, the one that I think could help them that maybe did yesterday was Vaz. I, I still think that Javier Vaz is going to hit better than he's hit. Um, he's made a lot of contact. He get, did get a single in the ninth. I think Vaz is just due to hit better than he has this year because I think he is a better hitter. 
The wild card might be Gavin Cassis, although I don't think we've seen Cassis so much as make a pinch hit appearance in three weeks. I'd have to look that up, but that's the issue I see is I don't think that they've got a lot left in reserve that you're like, well, they got this guy over here who who can maybe help them, that they haven't broken the glass in case of emergency. Uh, maybe you could see that with Leneve, but he played two weeks ago, struck out, what, three times against Kentucky? So I just don't know that you've got a lot left in reserve other than maybe Vaz, and that got tried yesterday. Well, what, what we've seen in the past is amplified here the opposite, is a lack of consistency in the lineup. I mean, you had Bulger in the two-hole for a couple series. There. I think it was, was – did they start that in the Florida series? I know it was Kentucky – and now Bulger last night, you know, is in the five hole. He puts Hewitt in the two hole last night. It's just it's it's become musical chairs. I know sometimes it can be argued that it, you go by, you know, as far as righty lefty mat pitching matchups. But when you know right out of the bat, probably that Louisville throws seven guys out there, and it was pretty much pre planned that they were going to do that with. Two two one 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 in in a nine inning game. Uh, you know that really you throw that out the window. Um, but the lack of consistency at this point of the year in the first week in May compared to years past, it's almost like you're just throwing names in a hat for a couple spots and you're picking one out and seeing who can give us a spark, who can uh, be the be the guy who comes up in a big moment, and then you ride that guy. But we've talked about before, there have been, he's mentioned this, there's a bunch of guys on this team who have pretty much equal playing ability, it seems, right now, and you're looking for somebody to jump up and and be that Troy Laniv from last year, be that Vaz from last year. Right now, Laniv and Vaz aren't being those guys this year. So you have to go to the next player, and Hewitt is apparently becoming that guy to be the main mainstay in left. You know, Hewitt's a guy who makes contact and maybe perhaps putting him in the two hole. Uh, he just seems like he's ready to hit and his mind frame is, is there all, you know, he goes over three last night, but what they've had the last probably nine, 12 games out of him um, contradicts that. But it, that is to me, and I'm sure you would agree. We've talked about it is just the lack of, a nine guys that you roll out there. Now it becomes if you get on Twitter and you just see the little graphic that they put out and like, well, who's 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 going out there today? Who's the new lineup today? And that's something that's been totally different from what it's been the last couple years when they've been highly successful is knowing who's going to be out there every day because the performances have been consistent. You knew what you're going to be getting out of those one through nine guys. And you had one or two guys you pull off the bench and it's just the net has been cast way um, wider than you thought it would at this time. I know he's not crazy about the portal. I think he's going to have to hit the portal for hitting. You look at what A&M has got, uh, the Claunch kid, Moss, and Rock, all portal ads for them. You see how that experience is paying off. You look at Arkansas, Lanzilli and Turner maybe been their best two hitters in league play, both transfer kids. They'll see those guys next weekend. Um, who am I missing? Oh, Auburn added two kids from Sanford who can really hit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, a, and a Juco kid. I, I guess that's not, that's not the portal, but Rambush has been really good for them. 
you look at LSU adding Barry. I look at their lineup going into next year, and I'm thinking, okay, Jones will be gone. Keegan will be gone. I think Bradfield and Bolger are going to have really good years for them next year. Um, you know, Hewitt, I, I don't he's, – he's hit like crazy, but it's still been a really small sample. So you just don't know. I look at that lineup next year, and it's got the potential to be dicey. I mean, unless they somehow get a miracle with Drew Jones or some of these kids, uh, which I'm not expecting. But I don't know how they fix the lineup and feel great about it next year unless they hit the portal a couple of times. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the pitching's not going to be a problem. As a matter of fact, in, in watching the game last night, the color guy who I'm, whose name escapes me, he's the guy who played at uh, LSU. Um, ben McDonald I, or is no, it uh, Todd Walker? Todd Walker, Todd Walker was the color um and you know he mentioned like everybody's sitting there talking about what's wrong with Vanderbilt you know what's you know what's what's the problem what's the issue he says Vanderbilt's going to be fine um but they're just really young and so you're gotten that narrative that's kind of on the national stage of everybody you know you, you talked about you know Futrell you know how great he is as far as he'd be on most staffs weekend uh rotation and You've got the the guys that have stepped up on the on that could be coming back on on that side of the equation, and I agree with that. Um, but when you're talking about taking Jones and Keegan out, oh, that's good. scary because those the, guys. The, see, that's the thing. The other stuff has eclipsed this so much. I don't think their fans even realize how great those kids have been this year. And, right. and when they're gone, I'm I'm going boy. That now that might be time to panic when when those two kids are gone. Yeah, and and you know the portal is not something. It it just doesn't seem. Uh, and it, it's he, not built towards the culture he's created. Right, and I it's get not that. The Vanderbilt way because it's his thing. The, his thing is yeah. I mean it's it's guys come in and buy their. And you're seeing that at UT with Lipscomb and some of those kids. I get that. It's it's sending the wrong message to your guys. Um. It's, you know, hey, you can come here and you might sit for a year or two, but if you do the things you're supposed to do and bide your time, then you're going to play. And I, I understand that, that that may upset their apple cart with that. Maybe he just says, I, I take a year to eat it next year. Uh, but I don't see their lineup being super competitive w- without them adding a couple of big bats next yeah, year. And, yeah, and, and you're going to have to – it's not – when I say it's not the Vanderbilt way, it's really not the Corbin way. I mean, he, he just – it's not – something that he has done in the past, except on occasion, one or two guys. It's different uh, as far as getting guys in school, as much as people want to complain about that and say, we're going to have to get through the, you know, get with the times on that. Well, it's just, it is not, it is not, e- Clark Lee will probably tell you the same thing. It is not easy to get guys in school as transfers. It never has been at that place. It wasn't when I played uh, you might get one or two guys occasionally, but it's just it's difficult. I think maybe there's a trade-off as far as well. We'll get you some guys in who might be borderline as freshmen. We'll make some exceptions, but trying to get people midterm is a different thing. It's just something I sense as being a longtime follower of the program. Um, culturally, I don't think it is something he wants to do. Um, but we're at a time, Chris, and I'm going to digress here, get something on my chest, because I was talking about this, and this is a little bit baseball-related. Um, 
it's all sports related about the portal and all that's what's going on. Um, you're, you're seeing, we've talked about this trend a little bit, NIL portal, those two things. And, and you brought it up. So I'm just going to expound a little bit, you know, and we've kind of hinted at it, the two of us. And I know we've talked privately about it and I've talked to friends privately about it too, is they're kind of held back a little bit and think, well, maybe it's just, it's going to, things are going to get different. I mean, it is the wild, wild West right now. Yeah. And if, especially if, in football, it is, it is where can I get the best deal? It is, and it's not even free agency like the NFL. It is year to year free agency. Yeah. And it, it's scary to me. Um, if I am the chancellor and I am sitting there with, and of course you've got Candace story, athletic director, and you know, you're, you've hired her to make tough decisions, but if I'm getting ready to raise or put in couple hundred million dollars and you know it'll probably be more than a half a billion when it's all said and done for this Vandy United campaign and stadium improvements and uh, football stadium improvements and building the building in the end zone and a practice gym facility and you're adding volleyball and you're doing some enhancements you just got a five million dollar gift for the baseball program uh, maybe I think in, in interpreting that by the way is maybe to pay for stuff that's already been done uh, but it is, it would be very scary to me to sit there and think that we're getting ready to ask for a raise and we're getting ready to dip into some money and especially in football. Um, and to an extent, baseball, you know, your Olympic sports, not so much because Vanderbilt should be dominating those. And I think for the, they've been having good years, but it is going to be, it means open season and your best player, if you're not good, your best players are going to get cherry-picked by everybody else. I mean, think about what Belmont, think about what Casey Alexander of Belmont has to be thinking. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, His three best players are gone. That would never have happened a couple years ago. And so here's a program, the Belmonts of the world. So if those guys are going to fall back, the Belmonts of the world, the the teams like the mid-majors who've been really, really good in sports, uh, their respective sports, because those guys, the way it is set up right now, they're gone. They're going to get cherry-picked. They're going to get NIL deals. They're going to get brought into the fray. So what does it say about the Vanderbilts and the Dukes and the Northwesterns? And that's what I fear. And then, you know, if, if the if, – because it, you look down the road and the super conference idea that – there's there's going to be a, a super conference and everybody's going to be getting paid and it's just going to be just people writing checks and all that. Where does Vanderbilt fit into all that? Yeah, you're getting ready to spend a bunch of money and I, and I'll circle back with baseball because this is we're talking baseball here. I, I think that Tim, as you said, probably doesn't like it and the NIL thing. I think he's mentioned it before that he thinks it's distracting. Uh, doesn't want to be distracting as long as it does is not distracting. Uh, he realizes, but there's going to be a, to me, a judgment day that those guys are going to have to make over there about in, in Tim and his, and I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't know this, but you're looking around and you're kind of looking, you're looking East and South and nor all these programs are going on. And, it might be something they have to do and not want to do. And sometimes culturally, if you don't want to do it, that worries me like, well, you know, this is not me. 
this is not me, and this is not the way the program. I mean, you seeing coaches get out of the game. I'm not insinuating anything. You see what happened at Villanova in basketball. You're seeing some rumblings that you know some some of your diehard coaches that have been doing this forever, who are old school coaches, are like, look, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a part of it. Uh, it's not the way I coached for 18, 20 years or however long. And that's what I think a lot of coaches are going to have to do. Your successful old school coaches uh, are going to do. And I've rambled, but that just kind of thought came to me yesterday in some discussions with people. It is frightening to me of what's on the horizon. That is, there's really nobody in charge. The governing body is hiring a new president because the guy resigned at the NCAA. And it's scary to me. I would not want to be raising $600 million or whatever they're trying to do, building something, and then a super conference is created in football, and you're sitting there in front of 8,000 people playing uh, on a regional network because the because you don't have a network deal anymore uh, because the superpowers, the ESPNs of the world are doing this super network. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm an alarmist, but uh, does that – does that make sense to you? It does. Now, what's interesting, I'm, I'm assuming you saw what came out yesterday where the NCAA is going to try to reel this in a little bit. And, well, they better. Well, and my first reaction was good luck. But when you're hearing Nick Saban and Kirby Smart have issues with it, because, you know, those are the schools that can bankroll stuff more than, than anybody, that's when I think maybe there's going to be something there. I, I just think that I can't imagine – the ulcers you get as a coach, just knowing nothing's ever settled. I think this was kind of a necessary chaos because I never liked the idea that, you know, a, a kid can't have somebody give him a, a steak dinner every now and then without getting his school on probation. I always thought that was silly, but now this is the other extreme. I think this was a necessary chaos to try to settle more towards something that's that's workable. I don't know where it settles, but it was interesting that that came out yesterday. And I, I don't think it's just, you know, the, the governing few. I, I have a feeling you, you got every schools, including some of the ones that are taking advantage of this, that are they're saying, hey, this is this is a little crazy for all of us. Yeah. And, and when it is it is nice to hear that from the Sabins of the world, that this is out of control because it's going to take that it's going to take the power programs to do that and admit that it just i mean what frightens me of the vanderbilt of the world and in uh in football for example when i mean the the way those guys are doing and clark lee and barton simmons they're bringing these guys the three stars in and coaching them up to become the jordan matthews of the world well i mean if if the if that was the case and they the way that's that Matthews was developed here, he doesn't stay at Vanderbilt. He's gone. Yeah. Once he gets developed. And so what it becomes disheartening is is when you have these guys who you do coach up and are the diamonds in the rough, which Barton has has proven uh, not proven yet, but he has the um, knack for finding those guys from having the contacts that he has all across the country in high schools to find the guy they can coach up. And once you coach them up, they're out of there. Uh, that has to be alarming. Um, now, on the baseball side, since, again, this is a baseball podcast for the most part, but we can run bramble. Um, I, I just think it's going to be a reckoning where, like you said, Tim's going to have to take a deep breath at the end of the year and go, how do I plug these holes in a league that 
if it continues, is going to still trend older. It's going to trend like Auburn's done, which a bunch of old dudes out there, 23, 24-year-olds, like they've done up in Knoxville with a bunch of 23, 24-year-old guys. Uh, and you're trending younger, and, oh, two of your best players are going to get drafted, and there's going to be a – you know, unless you supplement those – it's going to be a little more. It's going. It's going to be daunting. It's going, so you. You just wonder whenever the season ends at whatever level, um, in the tournament. Hopefully, um, they're going to have to sort of not. It's not that they haven't already, but they. They see. They know. They've looked at it. I mean, he's. He's even acknowledged it that this is a become a very mature league with guys with a bunch of at bats and a bunch of innings under them, and. Um, they're not. And is it a one-year deal? Maybe. Uh, but I think under the current – unless they change it, it's going to continue to be uh, – there, there's going there's stories out of there that you have uh, schools in this conference who are bringing 50 and 60 players in under different arrangements that, hey, you know, you're an invited walk-on, you're a JUCO guy, you're a you're – a, um, we sign you for you know minimal scholarship. You get the Tennessee lottery scholarship. You're from Memphis or Dyersburg, best player around there. And they show up in fall practice and they cut twenty people. Um, there have been talks that that's been going up in Knoxville. That there's this massive bringing in of talent. People in the portal promises are made. Uh, and I'm not saying it's going on in Knoxville. I'm I'm hearing it's going on at a lot of schools. They're just oversigning. And bringing in these guys, and and you think you're going to play baseball for School X and the SEC, and your butt's cut, and all of a sudden you're 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 sitting there as student, and you think that you were going to go up there to play baseball, and promises were made. It's just it, it is the wild west. There's no other way to say it, uh, and it's concerning as the way the baseball is going. And until it gets reined in. Um, I don't know. I don't see an end to it, but I think it does need to be reined in. And if the NCA has the guts enough to do it, to do things like they need to do, like add a third assistant who's paid to up the scholarship limit and then uh, control. That's just on the baseball side. They got a lot more work to do. I hate to be the guy who I wonder who the candidates are going to be for this NCAA job. But you wonder if it goes down the road too far, if they're even going to respect him. Well, Tim was right a couple of years ago. He said, life's got to go on. You've got to move the clock forward. And and the decision they made to give everybody that extra year of eligibility has just caused so many headaches with baseball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that was uh, the COVID year like he talked about. And I mentioned this, you know, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that thing that I'm looking at on my cork board here in my office, and, and I'll repeat it again. If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. And that's what a lot of coaches are going to have to decide. They're going to have to decide if they're going to play this game. And, um, and you know, I just I worry a little bit about, a little bit about it uh, because it's just you can make changes in your demeanor and you can say, okay, well, they're going to – we're going to do it this way, and it's going to take a little adjustment. But some, that's such a huge adjustment to a to a coach like Tim who sees baseball. And you, I watched this. I was on YouTube, and a thing popped up, and it was Tim speaking. Uh, he does these a speaking circuit, and it was somewhere at a national conference. And he, you're talking about a guy who 18 years ago it was not saying it was 100% baseball focused. 
and it's flipped and now you know the whole classroom experience and how to be a future husband and a future dad and those things are important if you're getting dudes in the portal guys who for one year two years and you worry about the culture that that's bringing in as opposed to a guy who you're grooming for three four years under your program and your direction and how you want them to think and act and behave and treat others it's it's just it's different all right, let's talk pitching. Sorry to vent, by the way. Oh, no, it's, that's, <laughs> why, that's why we're here. I, I came down and sat with you in the stands for a lot of the game on Friday night. That was the one that Vanderbilt won in the blowout. And, and you said to me, like, I didn't realize it, like, because they're sitting there with a the lead. And I said to you, the next move is, is to bring Evans in. And I look up who's trotting in from the bullpen to start the the sixth or whatever it was. And and from a distance, I'm thinking it's Evans, and that's where it, it makes sense. It wasn't until I think he threw a pitch, and I looked at the glove, and you pointed out, like, oh, wait, that's Christian Little. I think that's the point where they lost the series, potentially. But that might be unfair, but I, I just feel like they have done that a couple of times. I get what he's tried to do. I get that it's worked. Um. You know, they, they've teetered on that edge for a, a while now to where, like, in 14, I, I think there were the moves that everybody knew they, they needed to make. He didn't make them. Uh, they got to 16 and 14. They got a a host spot. They ended up playing at home because Indiana lost in its regional. So they got two home weekends, Whether they whereas they were only given one from the outset, and it all worked out. They won the national title. So I've seen it work for Tim where he makes these moves, where he lets guys figure it out, and he sees what he has and he doesn't have. But now they're on the point to where it's going to be really hard for them to host a regional. They're going to have to get to probably 16 and 14, which means winning six out of the next nine between Georgia, Arkansas, both those on the road, and LSU. It's almost too much to bite off. It's not impossible, but it's going to be really tough. And I just look at the things that they've done with the pitching, and you saw it against South Carolina, where some of the moves they made in that series didn't make sense for maybe trying to win the thing. Um, I don't know. I I think they're at the point now where they're just going to have to put a little in the rotation, I think. I don't. I don't see any other way around it. And and maybe Cunningham needs to pitch on weekends too. Uh, not Cunningham. Uh, Futrell. Yeah, and it, and it gets to be where at this point when there's some desperation, you know, who are your best arms? Who and you know, we don't know anything about how they're doing in the classroom. We don't know how what, how good of a teammate they're being. How they're acting outside of of baseball. We don't know any of those dynamics. But just from a from a, a follower and an observer. Christian Little is one of the top arms on the team. Now, it's 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 Christian Little is the top arm on the yeah, team. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. So, you know, when is that going to become a reality and he gets the nod? I think it could possibly be this weekend. Futrell, I know there's some ideas as far as protecting that kid. He's talked about it a little bit, but um, he essentially would be a star in a regional situation. That guy's off the bench and, and pitching, I think, if there's ever any doubt. So he's your fourth starter, and then you'll see in the SEC tournament coming up, he will probably start game one. Uh, and so he'll get his first taste of SEC action there. There was some 
hand wringing a little bit. I think earlier in the South Carolina series when uh, they threw Riley out there, I think it was early in a game when people were saying, "Why would he go with that situation that early?" And in and in, 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 and I forgot what it was. You, I, it, I think that's the one you mentioned. Um, that's the one where McIlvain was was mowing them down. Right. Um, they got it. They got a huge lead. They were up eight after I don't know four or five innings, and you just that's one of those where you can you can afford to make a couple miscalculations. Um, and they threw Riley in, and he mowed everybody down. And, and when it gets to to Saturday, which they played a Thursday to to Saturday series, you're going well. They they really could have used him there. Sure, and and that's what um, I think that's what you're alluding to that having little for that Sunday contest instead of bringing him in there. You know, there, there's different philosophies that coaches have there. You, it depends on their comfort level of the lead. And you say, well, we can afford to, to roll out one or two guys in that situation and see how it goes for an inning or two and get the consistency um, to continue and, like, put in an Evans, who has a zero ERA through nine innings, uh, or Berkwich, who still has a zero ERA through eight and two-thirds, and, and try those guys. There's different thoughts to that couple ways to skin the cat but uh you know a lot of coaches and then you see the opposite end of it that we've seen it happen um at auburn we saw it happen in columbia where they threw two guys out there two or three guys waved the white flag might as well just throw me out there at my age uh and and just say we're going to concede this game and try to get the series win get the two out of three and and just not going to throw out arms that could help us stay in the game. So it's um, who thinks that way, why they think that way. I'm sure they have their thoughts, but that is something I think that people have questioned uh, along the way is, and, and I think you almost have to throw little this weekend. Um, Futrell, I don't see it happening still. I just don't. I think I, and I can defend leaving Fitrell where he is. The, the couple of midweek games they've got coming up are not going to be easy, and that does set you up for Hoover. Where and that that may be another thing where okay, if it's thirteen and seventeen, a couple of wins in Hoover probably gets you in, and I like my chances throwing him in that park. So that that one's a little more defensible, but I think both taken together it's hard to swallow when you see how uneven some of the performances have been on the weekend and starts yeah and i wasn't there uh on saturday i followed it um i had to coach but i wasn't there and, I, and there was some questioning of whether maldonado was not hot quick enough in the pen on uh, that yeah game. that that i couldn't tell you yeah and 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 uh you know if you noticed what happened in that game Saturday, we we get a bunch of hit, you get some bounce the ball around the park, and A and M pulled their starter after one inning. He was out, uh, and whereas I think there was some hanging on in our situation that we you know with Cunningham and just sticking with him to, with a guy who obviously didn't have it, um, like he had the last couple weekends, and so. Those game threes are, you know, different schools of thought. But if it were me coaching, uh, I'd, I'd have everybody on guard and said, you know, and I think they had some guys hot early, but it definitely wasn't Maldonado. Uh, he was late to getting down to the pen or as far as getting up, throwing, and eventually going to Nick. Um, and that just was a 
the point was brought up to me that you know was Maldonado even hot? Was you know you almost have to have that guy up in the first inning with the way that Cunningham was struggling. So I, I predict in the crystal ball that I think you'll see little on on game three of this series in place of Cunningham. Don't have any facts, but it would if it's ever going to happen, it needs to happen this weekend. I think. Well, the Georgia series was the one that for a while I have circled that that I thought they were going to pull the quote-unquote upset. Um, Let let me read you some stats. Um, I don't think I went over this earlier. Georgia 12-9 and in the league, but minus 25 run differential. Vanderbilt 10-11 and plus 28. And again, situational. I know the Auburn blowout um, obscured some of that. I know that Georgia gave up 23 in a game to Texas A&M where it threw in the white flag early, uh, but the pitching has not been great for them. They're last in the league in ERA, and that's with having Jonathan Cannon, although he's missed a couple of starts. Cannon's been almost automatic for them. That's almost a guaranteed win. So then it's like, can you get one of the other two if you're the other team? That said, Cannon gave up four last week in a game in five innings, so maybe he's a little bit vulnerable. The strikeout rate isn't off the charts, like a guy that's got his ERA. I feel like this is one that's there for the taking for them uh, if their confidence has not been shot the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and you can flip with Georgia if you have a good weekend. They're 12-9, and nine, we're 10-11, and 11, and all of a sudden you, you have a successful series and you, and you can flip and you're in second, and that's a long way from being in first. But, yeah, there's a lot on the line here. And, and uh, as I mentioned before, Athens has just not been very kind to Vanderbilt baseball for whatever reason. Um, you know, just it hasn't. Uh, and you mentioned they, they used to own Georgia for a while. And the last yeah. three or four, like even even the 2019 team went down there um, and oh, got. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to say manhandled, but Georgia won that series pretty decisively. Georgia came here last year and just beat the tar out of Vanderbilt. Like they hadn't hit like that all weekend. There's been something in the water recently with that matchup. Yeah, and, and you know this is a team that swept Florida at home, and that kind of catapulted them. That was in the last weekend in March, in April one and two, um, where they pretty much handled other than the Friday night game seven to six, six one and fourteen to eight, and took care of them. And and you know took two out of three against South Carolina. As you mentioned, they lost two out of three to Texas A&M and, and gave up that 23 runs in that game. But, you know, won two out of three against Alabama and Tuscaloosa. And then last weekend, losing the series at Baton Rouge. But they've been very, you know, pretty consistent. They put some numbers on the board, too, offensively. And just in that park, they seem to um, play really well at home. Uh, you know, we for, you know we forget they took two out of three from Mississippi State early, too, that first series. But... In conference games, what's impressed me is this: they've had some offensive output. I know um, on the pitching side, it's been a little sus- suspect on the ERA, but they've had some games where they've scored over 10, 12, more than a dozen runs on a couple occasions in this league, and that's hard to do. Any parting thoughts on baseball here? No, uh, other than the fact of, of just reiterating that, um, you know, this will be a monumental task coming off exams um, and, you know, the way they've been playing mentally. You just got to hope that this team can put it behind them and do what Vanderbilt teams have done in the past is when the May hits is once they get that all behind them to, to start playing some 
consistent baseball. Not sure it's going to happen, but they're going to have the opportunity to do so. It's out in front of them, and it starts uh, this weekend in Athens. They're just going to have to. Um, hopefully, the doldrums that didn't happen that happened yesterday will not be amplified um, <clears throat> more than they will be. Because if it does, and you're staring at an unsuccessful season with a, a very talented LSU team coming in next weekend here, better I think better than most people think, as you said. And then three games on the road in Fayetteville, it could get very uh, dark over there if they if they don't handle it. So um, we'll see. It's it's um, hopefully things will right the ship, but it's time. And and um, I'm going to amplify that it's it's not panic time, but it's it's getting close. And um, we'll see how this team can pull themselves up if they can. Well, go, go five and four the last three weekends, and I think everybody will start forgetting about the last couple of weeks and say, "Hey, we we just won," you know five games against three teams that are probably going to be regional hosts. I think that would very much change the complexion of the season. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that statement. Um, On a personal note, I don't know how to say this. I guess I'll just say it uh, because people on my site know this. We're doing this Wednesday morning. This time tomorrow, I'll be, I'll, I'll be out cold. Um, I'm having open heart surgery. Just something that got scheduled a couple of weeks ago. Um, if you follow the podcast – um, you, you probably noticed we just don't do as many episodes as we used to. That's for a few reasons, one of which is I've I've had an undiagnosed heart condition that has just worn me out and sucked up my energy. And I'm getting that fixed on Thursday. Hopefully on the other side, I'll feel a lot better. Um, that said, I just have not had the time for the podcast like I used to either. So I, I don't know how this settles on the other side. Um Please, nobody delete us from your podcast feed. Um, <laughs> Chip, I know you and I have talked about having you fill in for uh, maybe a couple episodes while I'm gone. We haven't figured out how to do that. This has all been a thing that, uh, frankly, got scheduled two weeks ago. Um, so my family's been scrambling just to adjust for everything. I think people know now I don't do the Vandy Beat full-time anymore. Um, I'm running an SEC site now and and that's just for income reasons. The, the market for Vanderbilt has shrunk so much. You just you can't make a living off it anymore. So um, I'm having to do kind of double duty. I I don't know where this all settles on the other side. Um, there there's been some thought that we'll end the podcast after this season. I don't know where that'll go. I do think that if um. You know, if in a few weeks from now I'm feeling okay and there's postseason baseball, I think we need to at least um, discuss all those things. But anyway, a lot going on. I just wanted to let the audience know uh, what was happening with me rather than just go silent for a couple of weeks. Uh, some of you listening may, may have known this already because I, I did address it on the site. But um, not everybody who listens to the podcast is on our site. So I want to let people know, and, and hopefully Chip and I can work something out where he'll do a couple things in my absence. But I'll be out at least through next week, um, you know, maybe after the Arkansas series, I'll, I'll be to come back, able to come back and do a few of these. But I just don't know how this is going to affect me yet. And wanted to let the audience know in, in case there's some changes in programming around here uh, soon. That's what's happening. Yeah, well, you you obviously know that a lot of people care about you. They've, they've been of uh, when you put that on the board, an outpouring of support to you. And and the main thing is, and I told you uh, when we were sitting at the baseball game 
a <clears throat> couple times a uh, week or two ago is you know make sure you just i was like chris let's don't let's just let's get this thing over with i think you were i, I think a month or two ago you were saying well, it might be something in the summer and i'm like no 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 hey the, had- the, look the, the more that i thought about that I, I went through just to fill people in on the personal side i've been having issues for two years that i couldn't explain Right. And I kept telling my wife and my doctors, I'm just not feeling right. And nobody could diagnose this. What it is, is I've got a genetic heart issue. Uh, nothing I could do about it. What was what's happening to me now was going to happen to me. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm just thankful that that I paid enough attention to it and to my body and kept pressing it. Every time I'd go through a test, you, you could tell like <laughs> the doctors and nurses, I think, would, would look at me like I think you're. Maybe making more of this than right because they looked at me and I'm, I mean I'm otherwise healthy. I've never had any other issues, and I kept pushing. And every time they do a test, it would come back a little bit worse. Um, it, to the final, we got to the point where about a month ago it was obvious that I was going to need surgery within the year. Um, with each additional test, it just it looked worse, and I just said, "Hey, I, I might be able to make it to July or August." But I don't want to take the chance. I want to feel better. Um, and when the heart surgeon, when we started scheduling something, I asked him timeline. He said maybe April or May. I, I knew now was the time. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you know that um, you know you've seen the threads on the page that that obviously people are supporting you and will wish you the best. And you know, we'll uh, you and I'll talk. We'll either do something here. It might be under a different format, but just way to continue the talk of Vanderbilt baseball for a week or two. Um, we can talk about that. If that happens, I'll probably post something as an under Chris might give me a screen name and tell you that it'll, it'll be a audio podcast and people can click on a link and might look a little different, but we'll try to do it as professional as we can and, and keep things, um, going and you and I can talk about that. But so if, if, if the listeners happen to see something on your board that says podcast, um, it's not something that I've, uh, broken off from <laughs> broken broken off and and uh and done something totally different it's just the way we might uh, try to keep this thing going because i know i get approached a lot that people listen to this and enjoy it and um it might be something just to continue it but if you happen to see that on your board chris and i'll talk about it and if not then we'll just play it by ear but uh, best of luck to you buddy and and we'll um we will be thinking about you and, and, uh, you know, it's never fun to do, but I know at least you get it behind you is the best thing in the world that, uh, you don't have to worry, have that stress on you. So, well, and I know some people listening, uh, some people did take up a collection for me that was pretty yeah. significant, uh, which, uh, boy, that, that really helps. And my wife was relieved to hear it. Um, we're going to have some pretty substantial medical bills that, that are going to come with. There's nothing that we can't pay. Um, fortunately, when I have to go into debt or anything, we've been wise with our money. But um, for those of you who did give, it was appreciated, and, and it's certainly going to good use. So. Yeah, well, I saw that, and that was nice to do because you just—I mean—meals and unexpected expenses and family meals. When you're, you, yeah. those are things that people don't think about. But and I, I, I saw that thread. It was a couple pages long, and it was uh, impressive. The people, the outpouring, who did that, and I know. Uh, that that was a strong showing of people that the diehard, so to speak, who who you know listen to this podcast, but more importantly, post on your page and and pay the monthly or the yearly dues to be on it. Um, I know it's not a huge money maker, but it's something that uh, 
you got to feel good about, uh, and I was happy to see that for you and your family. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate to everybody out there who who did give. Uh, it was it was all appreciated, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, we've got a, a good loyal audience. I know it's not a big audience, uh, but we've got the largest Fanable podcast audience there is. Um, sure, we have. Um, you know, we're, we're we're a big deal in our small pond, I guess, is a way. That's that right. Not it's not even a pond that the fan base is a puddle now. But yeah, uh, right, right. But it is what it is. I mean, if you're listening, um, you know, and that, that's always the thing that that we've been about is like I, I know it. It just there's no other way. It sucks to be a Vanable fan for the most part <laughs> because the, the coverage is awful. You get you know, just harassed by other fans. The, 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 the moments have been few and far between. But if it's your team, you know, you you appreciate the coverage just as much as Alabama fans or Georgia fans do about theirs. That's the reason I started the site 20 years ago. I just felt it was an underserved market. I felt bad for the fan base. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's only so far you can go with it when the fan base is so small. Um, and you, I'm getting to the age where my kids are constantly having activities and stuff in school. My my son is playing baseball. Uh, that's probably going to turn to travel ball here in a couple of years. And my, my time for this just isn't what it used to be uh, just due to those things. And so those are some challenges I don't know how to deal with because I don't really have the, the resources to hire somebody to do a lot of what we used to do. But um, we'll, we'll keep on serving as long as we can. And, and, and I know folks have appreciated it and, uh, that, that appreciation, uh, when, when people have expressed it and reached out to me with, with emails and, and the donations, um, that doesn't go unnoticed and it's, it's meant a lot, but, um, yeah. Chip, before you go, tell folks about the real estate market and, and the things that you guys do. Yeah, I'll, I'll be real quick, Chris, just identify that our company, Frederick and Clark Realty, um, is thriving in two locations here in Nashville and Brentwood. We got a, a closing coming up of a, a podcast listener that used one of our agents that I, I spoke with, and he's moving here from Atlanta and was glad to help them. So it's great to know that people are, are uh, listening and, and trusting what I'm saying as far as building relationship with uh, fellow Vanderbilt fans and people who have uh, attended the university, played sports there like my father and my brother did as far as attending and myself. So just want to appreciate, uh, throw out that uh, thank you. That um, and I've heard from other people too that listen. That uh, so it's um, great to uh, have that support. But our real estate company again, two locations. Website is frederickandclark.com. It's a tough market to be in. You need that representation. It's still crazy out there, even though the interest rates have gone up. The refi market is is not as hot. I was talking to a mortgage guy the other day. It's definitely. Not what it used to, but there's still what little inventories out there um, is going quickly, and it's going at, at some unbelievable prices. So give us a call and let us be uh, on your team, support you along the process. This is not something to take lightly and feel like you can do it on your own. We have over 180 agents in these two locations that can help you out, and I'd be happy to discuss your needs with you. So check us out on the web. Um, you can check the inventory, the, the the very little inventory that's out there right now in most areas, but uh, you can check us out and our agents and information about our company, and we'd be love to uh, love to help uh, you in your search for a home or on the sell side as well. And that's frederickandclark.com, 615-327-4800. And Chris, I'll leave it at that. Best of luck to you, buddy, tomorrow. We'll be thinking about you, and we'll be in touch, okay? 
Well, thank you, Chip. Uh, Chip's been a good friend. Uh, Chip does this for free, and and so. Um, well, yeah. and, and and that's and and but I'll say this, and as far as your connection to Vanderbilt fans, uh, and the little pond that we're in, it often gets to the. Uh, I say this to people, um, being a former athlete in baseball. If it wasn't for Vanderbilt, I wouldn't be here because yeah. my father, who came from a southwest Indiana, a little town in southwest Indiana, just near Evansville, he ends up coming to Nashville on a, ba- a basketball scholarship, and he also played baseball as well. So it's it's a uh, it's a love for the university that I have. It, it's frustrating at times. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, um, and it can be uh, lonely at times. But I, I do this for just staying involved with it after being a broadcaster for a while and and also just the fact that uh kind of my payback of to these Vanderbilt fans who want information about the teams around and the, and the schools and baseball especially it's my kind of gift back so I, I love doing it yeah well it's been a lot of fun uh you, you've been a great co-host and again hopefully you and I will um will crank some stuff up Around postseason baseball, hopefully I'm feeling well enough at that point. I'm, I'm going to have to get some rest and just sure. take some time off just to, to to heal and everything. And I hear it's going to be painful. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that'll be fun. But That's right. um, but in any case, yeah, look forward to hopefully doing a few of those. And, um, you know, once postseason wraps up, I don't know where it'll go from here. But we'll, we'll take everything um, a little bit at a time and, and have appreciated your involvement. And I know our listening audience has, too. All right, man. We'll take care. Have a have a uh, safe and good thoughts to you tomorrow from everybody here on the, the listen. And I'm sure they they'll be thinking about you. And, and um, if there's an update to give, somebody I'm sure will post it just to make sure you're doing okay. And I'm sure people will be anxious to know. So we'll somebody will try to arrange that. I'm sure. Thanks for joining us, Chip. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.